0: Good morning, it's a joy to be with you guys this last Sunday of the year. I remember several months ago, before I came to Grace Bible Church, and I was, had met Pastor Jacob and was listening to a few of his sermons to see if it'd be a good fit. Um, and I remember one time he came up and he said, I love the way our church sings, and it always prepares my heart to preach the word. And uh, I think about that almost every Sunday, uh, it is such a joy, and it does warm our hearts. To, to be prepared to hear the word, just like that last song said. So, good job singing. Every week it's very good. This morning and next week, we're going to take a break from our series through the book of Matthew. And we're going to think about spiritual disciplines. I believe this is a, a normal pattern for us here at Grace. So, as we enter the new year, it's kind of a time of reflection and maybe renewed interest and, and pushing to have our growth in our Bible readings and in prayer. We've done Bible reading in the past as a discipline. I just want to remind you there are reading plans in the foyer out there. Please take one if you haven't got a plan yet for yourself. And this morning, I'm going to preach on the spiritual discipline of prayer. Spiritual discipline of prayer. A couple reasons I wanted to preach on prayer. The first is that reminders are always good. So I assume if you're here, you understand the importance of prayer and you strive to pray every single day. And I also know that if you're like me, you probably struggle praying uh, and having a vibrant prayer life. And so I think a a time in the word thinking about prayer will be good for us. The second reason I wanted to preach on prayer is I don't think we define it all that well. And I'm not talking about how a Christian versus a non-Christian would define it, uh, right? A non-Christian thinks prayer maybe is a crutch or something that helps us in difficult situations. I think that we as Christians don't always share a common definition of prayer or define it as well as we could. So I'll give you an example to illustrate. Several years ago when I was in college, I was able to go on a missions trip. And leading up to this, we had team building activities, which usually meant serving at other churches. So we went to a church in our area, it was quite a big church, and we had volunteered to clean their nursery toys. And when I say big church, I mean like, there's like multiple nursery rooms and youth group aged activities, bigger than this room. So we go and we're cleaning, And some of us got done quicker than others. So we went and we sat in this big foyer area. And we were watching a rehearsal for the next day for the youth age church service. And it was, i would never forget it. It was like a late night TV show where they had a guy on the piano who would play the piano and then he'd make jokes. And then you had one guy kind of leading the interview and another person answering. And so they would do this whole build up. And then they would ask the person, what is prayer? And the person would say, prayer is... And then they would trail off, and they'd all look at each other. Um, you know, the person didn't have a definition. She didn't, all, the, all the pieces of production were in place, except a robust understanding of prayer and being able to teach on it. And that always stuck out to me. I thought that was so sad. They ended up defining prayer just simply as talking to God, which I think is, is fine as things go. Perhaps you've used that with your kids. But if we have a whole sermon on prayer, and all we get is prayer is talking to God, I think we're missing a lot. So the first thing we're going to do this morning is give a detailed explanation of prayer. We're going to start with this definition and then move on. We have three questions that are going to structure our time in the Word this morning. The first question, what is prayer? The second question, how do we pray? And the third question, when do we pray? So if you're taking notes, those three questions are going to structure our time. I'd like to begin with more prayer and ask the Lord's blessing As we open his word. Please join me. Father, I thank you for your word. That it is clear. I thank you for the gift. Of even being able to speak to you, Lord. Because of the work of Christ. Because of the assistance of the Spirit. Who enables us to pray. I ask that you give us a greater understanding. And would you use your word in the preaching this morning. To stir our hearts. To spend more time to commune with you in prayer. To think about the blessing that it is. Please be with us this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The first question. What is prayer? To help us define prayer and to do it succinctly, I'm going to use the answer given from the Baptist Catechism of 1813. The Baptist Catechism of 1813. It should be on your sermon handout. I just put it each phrase at a time. So remember, a catechism is a teaching tool. So as we answer this first question, it's going to feel more like a teaching session. But once we get this definition in place, then we're going to move to exhortation and we're going to see how this affects how we pray. So the Baptist Catechism, in answering the question, what is prayer, gives this answer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. For things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, believing with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. That's a good definition. And we're going to look at it phrase by phrase and we're going to see the truthfulness of it from scripture. So if you're taking notes, there'll be about two scripture passages for each phrase. Tried to space it out to help you. And we're going to begin with the first phrase prayer. Is an offering up of our desires to God. This phrase is somewhat close to that smaller definition of just prayers talking to God. And we see this idea in Psalm sixty-two eight: Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Again, in Lamentations two nineteen: Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. This offering up of our desires or pouring out our heart. It's illustrated really well by Hannah, Samuel's mother. If you read the book of 1 Samuel, um, Hannah could not bear a child, so she goes to the temple and she's praying in her heart. The text says she is speaking in her heart so that only her lips move, but no voice is heard. So true prayer involves the heart. It is not rout. It's not merely reciting something in order to check off a box saying the right theological words. Prayer involves the heart. This is what God desires. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, The Lord said, These people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. So we may be able to say the right things in front of other people, but God knows if our heart is truly in it. True prayer has as an integral component our hearts offering up their desires to God. Next phrase, prayer is by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is communion with God. This is so important. Prayer is communion with God, the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No person is left out or sidelined. The Holy Spirit assists us as we pray. And as we think about Christ later on, He is our, our mediator. The Holy Spirit is necessary for our prayers we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. Through him, meaning Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In one spirit. It's Ephesians 2, 18. The Holy Spirit also assists us as we pray. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, where the Spirit is said to pray for us, to help us when we don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit shows us our condition before God, our sin, shows us the greatness of God, and shows us the Redeemer. We're going to circle back to this phrase when we answer the second question, but we're going to move on now. Prayer is also for things agreeable to His will. Think about this as a qualifier to the first phrase We offer up our desires to God for things agreeable to His will. James chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, make it very clear that we should not request from God whatever our feelings or emotions tell us. There are certain things we should not ask for in prayer, right? It would be wrong to pray for sin to happen. James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So James is speaking to Christians, saying, you are praying wrongly, and the reasons for your prayers are wrong, to spend it on your own passions. That's the negative side, the warning, that we should not just pray not according to God's will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, gives us the positive side, the encouragement to pray according to God's will. The Apostle John says this, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. That's an incredible promise. We know that God hears us and we know that we have the request from God that we ask if, right, if we ask according to his will. The word of God has to guide us, has to shape our expectations and our prayers, if we pray according to his will. And I wanted to give an example of how shaping our expectations for answered prayer might look. So say you have conflict in your life and you know that as a Christian, you don't want to be anxious. You want to trust the Lord. You don't want to grumble and complain. So you pray that God would give you peace. And perhaps as you're praying that, you think the only way that will happen is if God removes the conflict. But maybe God answers your prayer for peace by helping you through the trial, not removing it. So he's teaching you to trust him through the trial. He's answering your prayer. He's giving you peace, a freedom from anxiety, but maybe not in the exact way you expected. A really good hymn is, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. And that's a really good hymn, a reflection on when we pray to advance in holiness, oftentimes the way God answers is not how we expect So I commend that hymn to you. We should pray for things agreeable to God's will to keep us from the danger of making prayer a form of self-expression. Prayer is not a verbal diary where we can express our feelings unfiltered or pour out secrets like to a best friend. Prayer is certainly intimate. It's personal. It involves my heart. But that does not mean it's whatever I want it to be. Thinking of James chapter 4. Or even the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector in the two different ways they were praying. Prayer is not so mystical that there are no boundaries. The mystical aspect of prayer is our union with God. That we get to commune with God in prayer. It's not me giving full vent to my spirit. We should pray for things agreeable to his will. Next, prayer is in the name of Christ should we pray in Christ's name? Yes. He is our mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our only mediator. As we saw in Ephesians 2:18, it is through him we have access to the one Spirit. I think there might be a temptation for us, especially those who come from a Roman Catholic background, to kind of deny the need for a priest in our lives. And we certainly don't need multiple priests, priests who are only man, but we do need a mediator. This is what Job cried out for in Job 9. He says, There is no arbitrator between us, between God and man, who might lay his hand on us both. And we have that in Christ, a mediator who is both God and man. And he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him Hebrews 7 Christ is our high priest and we pray in his name Jesus teaches us this in John 14, 13 whatever you ask in my name this I will do that the Father may be glorified and it's easy for us to kind of tag on at the end of our prayers I pray this in Jesus name kind of just to let everybody know for at a prayer meeting everybody knows that now I'm done praying and somebody else can do it but we shouldn't think of Praying in the name of Christ is like a throwaway phrase. All throughout the the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses those two words, in Christ. And it's not a throwaway phrase for him. It's like groundbreaking truth, the reality that we're united to Jesus. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we need to know that that phrase, if we say, I pray this in Jesus' name, it should hit us. Jesus is our mediator. It's not a throwaway. Next. Prayer involves belief. Just one word for this phrase, very important, but I think often misunderstood. In Matthew 21, Jesus is teaching about the cursed fig tree, and he tells the disciples, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if, conditional statement, if you have faith. In James chapter 1, we see something similar. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Faith that God will act is based on God, not on our own strength. What I mean is this. Faith should be based on the character of God. Right? We, we heard from Psalm 145, his word and his works God has a proven track record. So our faith is in God, not in faith itself. Not in the idea of faith. It's not like an abstract idea. That if I just try to make myself feel happy, I will be happy. Or if I just speak something out there, it's going to come back to me like karma. The object of our faith is the most important thing. And God, as the object of our faith, is sure. So we should believe as we pray that God does hear us. And that he will answer our prayers. Maybe not in the way that we expect, but we know that he is with us. And finally, we're going to take the last two phrases together. We should pray with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Do all of us in this room have sin that needs to be confessed? Like on a daily basis? Yes. 1 John eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Therefore, we should confess these sins because, next verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We should confess our sins. Is God merciful to us? Yes, of course. Does he bless us? Yes, Ephesians 1 talks about the immeasurable greatness of God toward us who believe. So we should therefore thank God. Philippians 4:6 In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. So there it is. That's our definition. It's longer, it's detailed, it's biblical. It's about 12 scripture proofs, but there's so many examples in scripture that we could go to. You could look at Daniel's prayer when he's praying on behalf of the nation of Israel. So many examples of prayer in the Bible. I'd encourage you to memorize this definition. It might seem long, but it is a catechism answer. It was made to be memorized and taught to the next generation. So if you have kids, try to teach it to your kids. As you teach, it'll cement itself in your mind. Hopefully you put a placeholder in your kids' minds as well. So that is the first question. What is prayer? We have it there. Second, how do I pray? How does understanding what prayer is actually affect what we pray for. We could go back and take each phrase again, but we're not going to do that. I simply want to make two points of emphasis. The first is this. We should combine scripture reading with prayer. This is important. We should combine scripture reading with prayer. If we look at our definition, we should combine those two phrases, offering up our desires to God and for things agreeable to his will. We should link those two things together. Because where is the will of God found? In the Bible. Okay, obvious application. Read the Bible. And then take it a step further. Read the Bible in order to provide you with reasons to pray. Pairing the Bible with prayer in no way takes away the sincerity of your prayer or offering your desires to God. Spontaneity does not necessarily mean true spirituality. What is often the missing ingredient for us in prayer, in our prayer life, is Bible meditation. We need to read the Bible to to renew our inner selves, to have our affections cultivated, and to give us fodder for prayer. In Donald Whitney's book on the spiritual disciplines, he devotes a large portion of his chapter on prayer under this heading Prayer is learned by meditating on Scripture. It was a very helpful chapter. I'm going to quote him at length here. Meditation is often the missing link between Bible intake and prayer. Typically, we read the Bible, close it, and then try to shift gears into prayer. But many times, it seems as if the gears between the two don't mesh. In fact, after some forward progress during our time in the Word, shifting to prayer sometimes feels like suddenly slipping into neutral or even reverse. Instead, there should be a smooth, almost unnoticeable transition between scripture input and prayer output. Have you guys felt that way before? Maybe you read the Bible in the morning, whenever you do it, and then you close it, push the Bible aside, and now it's my prayer time. It's difficult to kind of transition between the two. He goes on, when enlivened by meditation, prayer becomes more like a real conversation with a real person which is exactly what prayer is. God speaks to us in his word and we speak to him in response to what he has said. So we should not close our Bibles, move it aside and then close our eyes and expect God to start speaking to us that way. God has spoken to us, it's in his word. And so when we read God's word, this is what God is saying to us. This is what God's will is for our lives. We don't need a a, a special extra revelation. And so as we read what God is saying to us, We respond respond in prayer. Many from previous generations understood this link between the two. This is good Bible reading advice, prayer advice from John Owen. He says, Pray as you think. Consciously embrace with your heart every gleam of light and truth. Thank God for and pray about everything that strikes you powerfully. So as you're reading the Bible and you, you feel something strike you, a conviction, you need to confess sin, or you get a glimpse of the greatness of God, then just pray right there. You don't have to wait five minutes. Right? Well, I have to read the Bible for 10 minutes, and then I'll pray for five. Mix those two together. Everything that you understand and that strikes you, respond in prayer and praise to God for. George Mueller, a man famous for his prayer life, puts it this way. My practice had been for 10 years previously to give myself to prayer immediately after dressing in the morning. Now I see the most important thing is to give myself to the reading of God's word and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, by means of the word of God and meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. Experimental communion. That's what prayer is. Communion with God. Brothers and sisters, meditate on God's word for guidance in your prayer life. To stir up in you a sincere, affectionate pouring out of your heart to God. We need to pair these two disciplines together. That's the first aspect. The second aspect of this definition I want to emphasize is the truth that we pray By the assistance of the Holy Spirit. We pray by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. This is so important, but I think downplayed in many circles. And I think one of the reasons we might downplay the role of the Holy Spirit in our prayers is we're reacting against something. It's a reaction against a misunderstanding of what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. Have you read that phrase in the Bible before? Pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read to you a a typical, I think, misunderstanding of praying in the Spirit. I'm quoting a pastor here. Praying with or in the Spirit is praying in another language and without understanding. And I want to emphasize that last part. Praying without understanding. And I think to most of us in this room, that just doesn't really fit with what we see in Scripture. God reveals himself to us in ways that we can understand and that should affect how we worship him. We worship God for what we know, and even more than that. Worship in the Old Testament is highly regulated by God. He cares about it. Think of Nadab and Abihu. We also see that when we gather as a church, we're commanded to do all things decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14. And we see all throughout the pastoral epistles, the word of God is central to what we do as we gather as a church. And the word of God is clear. It's profitable for us. So I would submit... To you, with generations of Christians, I think before the 1900s, that there's a better way to understand the command to pray in the spirit, and I don't think we should be afraid of it. I don't think we should read, pray in the spirit, and be like, ooh, that sounds like praying in tongues or something that I don't that's not doesn't make me comfortable, so I'll just push that away. Paul commands us in Ephesians 6, verses 16 through 18. He says, We're to put on the armor of God, to take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And then he says this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we're commanded to take up the armor and then pray. Jude chapter one, verse 20, also mentions this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. So there we have a building up of a holy faith and praying in the Spirit. And I also want us to think about Galatians chapter five, verse 25. This concept that we are to live by the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. I think that concept is very important for the understanding. So, considering those texts and finding help from those in the past, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? First, we see in Ephesians 6, prayer is not another armor or a piece of. It's not another piece of armor or a weapon. Rather, prayer is something that should be happening at all times when the armor is being worn. So, the armor will not be effective unless you are praying. So, we see the importance there of prayer. So, why does the Apostle Paul include the phrase in the Spirit? Isn't all Christian prayer in the Spirit? I think yes and no. So, all Christians are indwelt by the Spirit from the moment of conversion from regeneration, we don't lose the Holy Spirit. But I don't think this phrase is intending to capture that reality. This phrase isn't a throwaway, but it is important. It captures what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls the secret of true prayer. And that simply is this. The very life of prayer, the real essence, is the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And this is where I think Galatians 5 is so helpful. This concept of keeping in step with the Spirit. Paul is writing to Christians Those who are born again, they have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. And he says, now keep in step with the Spirit. Don't live according to your sinful flesh. He lists all those things. Put those things off. Now walk in the way that you should. Elsewhere in Ephesians, he tells Christians not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not teaching that somehow we lose the Spirit, or maybe when we sin, the Holy Spirit leaves us and he comes back when we repent. He's not contradicting with other things he said. But he is commanding us. In a very real way, walk in holiness, walk according to the Spirit, not according to your sinful flesh. So, I think if we take that concept and apply it to prayer then, we'll get a better understanding. So, in your own experience, have you ever said a prayer before a meal or at night with just really no affection? It's just lip service. Okay? Is that just me? Have I just done that? Not knowing what to say, perhaps you're praying with other people and you get embarrassed So you just throw out big words, try to sound cool. Have you ever been speaking of the glories of God, but in your heart, there's just no life or light? It's like, yeah, I'm saying these words. Prayer is communion with the living God. Does a cold indifferent prayer reflect that reality? Would we classify that type of praying as keeping in step with the spirit or maybe praying in our own strength or praying according to the flesh? Praying in the spirit, according to the spirit, or in our own strength. What would praying in the spirit look like then? An old Puritan from the 1600s, William Gurnall, explains it as a holy spirit stirring of the soul, which both excites in us a fear and then fills it with a sense of God's greatness. The spirit fills the Christian, he says, with a holy confidence and a humble boldness in prayer. And this is what Martin Lloyd Jones calls freedom in prayer. Whereas a Christian, we're not stumbling. A warmth, a liberty, a confidence in the promises of God in prayer. Prayer not being an exercise and saying the right things or having to pray so I can do an activity, but actual communion, recognizing it for what it is. Communion, like what George Mueller said, that experimental communion with our Creator. Now, have you ever ever prayed like that before? And I think if you're like me, you'd say yes. You know what it is to both labor in prayer and to know like, this just does not feel right. I'm saying these words, but I I just, I'm focused on this. I'm praying before a meal, but I just, I'm focusing on the food. Or I'm praying here, but I'm really thinking about that. That's not right. But you also know that prayer with God is, it's this experimental communion, this warmth, a devotion in prayer. And I want to caveat as well that freedom in prayer is not just something a happy Christian can have. It's not just something a happy Christian can have. Those who are grieving perhaps have the most honest prayers, the most honest pouring out of the heart to God because when all of our earthly joys are taken away from us, it's usually then that we see most clearly that Christ is our only hope in life and death. And if we trust Christ... In those moments, we still can and should have a holy or sorry, a humble confidence and a holy boldness in prayer, even in suffering or loss. We can trust God that He is still with us there. Having a warmth or a liberty or praying in the Spirit is also not uh, just warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not all of a sudden being able to speak how you don't normally speak, right? We have somebody who's very well educated and they speak or they pray, it's probably going to be a well-educated prayer. If we have somebody who's newer in the faith and they don't know fancy theological terms, we shouldn't expect that. They're just going to start spouting out fancy theological terms. So I'm not saying that praying in the Spirit is this like in the clouds experience. But it is praying in accord with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, knowing that experimental communion with God that prayer brings. And when we think about My prayer life, when I think about my prayer life, or maybe you guys think about yours, it can be convicting to hear people talk about prayer this way. Okay, I'm convicted. I'd be surprised if somebody here would say, yep, my prayer life is great. I'm never distracted. I'm always praying without ceasing. Martin Lloyd-Jones anticipates a question, perhaps asked by a convicted or downcast saint, and he gives a very encouraging answer. He says, is anything real prayer but that? Warmth, liberty, confidence, a humble boldness. And he says this, yes, I thank God that it is. I believe that God honors our intentions, poor and unworthy though they be. But let us not rest in intentions. Let us try to learn how to pray in the spirit, to grow in our prayer, right? We know that scripture reading is a discipline. We need to work at understanding what's in the Bible. We need to work at connecting the whole, Prayer is also a discipline. We need to work at prayer. It might be that we're in a place where we can only pray for two minutes before we're distracted and we just have nothing to say. We need to work, try to labor in prayer by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. We should grow in prayer. That doesn't make it unspiritual. right? Just in the same way, if you're married, you have to work to get to know your spouse. right? The same way, we should work, to spend time to commune with God in prayer, carve out time for it. And so very briefly, uh, I want to give four ways that we can press on to grow in prayer. And this again is from Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's very helpful for me. The first thing he says is, Admit our inability and cry out to God for help. Do we want to pray in the Spirit as Paul commands, he says? Then we should, let, we should ask God for it. None knows how many byways the heart has. How many back lanes to slip away from the presence of God? It's our heart, our sinful hearts, disposed towards sin? How much pride also if we enable our prayers with expressions? How much hypocrisy if we pray before others? And how little conscience is there made of prayer between the God and soul and secret, unless the spirit of supplication be there to help? When the spirit gets into the heart, then there is prayer indeed. That's from John Bunyan. The second is enjoy a living communion with God. So prayer is not separated from all of your life. Okay, so if if we're choosing to make strides in holiness, if we're choosing to live according to the Spirit, then we would expect our prayer life probably to match. If we're choosing to live in sin, we should not expect to enjoy our time in prayer. If we're making a habit of sinning, those two things just would not fit together. The third thing, he says, plead the promises of God with boldness, liberty, and assurance. For God has made promises. We can trust them. He's already begun answering them, and we can be assured that not one of his promises will fail. And the fourth is to obey the Spirit's promptings to pray. I think this is important but overlooked. If you feel prompted to pray, reading scripture, at work, wherever you are, then you should pray. doesn't mean you have to go to a closet. You can pray in your heart and keep your eyes open. That's okay but you should pray when you feel prompted. So this is the second point I want us to emphasize and exhort us to do. We should seek to pray according to the Spirit. Not turning off our minds, but meditating on who God is. Praying according to the Spirit. A route, half-minded or distracted prayer does not fit with what prayer actually is. Yes, God hears all of our prayers. Yes, the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray as we ought. But like Lloyd-Jones says, let us not rest in our intentions, but let us press on. Let's grow in this discipline of praying. So that is the second question. How should I pray? With the Bible, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And third and finally, the last question, when should I pray? I want to answer this question simply by focusing on corporate prayer. So when should we pray with others, and I want to say with others at Grace Bible Church? Corporate prayer. We should, as a church, seek to pray together. And I think that if we're not in some way marked by prayer, that's a, that's a sign of an unhealthy church. I'm not saying that's where we're at. I'm just saying if we're going to be a healthy church, prayer is going to be a big part of it. How can we pray together then? Well, first of all, I think Hebrews was mentioned by Pastor Jacob earlier. We should not neglect meeting together. This weekly gathering, every single Sunday, we should come together because we pray together. We sing praises. Sometimes the songs we sing are just prayers written to music. We should gather together. And when Josh or Pastor Jacob or whoever gives the exhortation is praying, we need to focus and pray as well. Second, you could attend a Bible study or a community group. Right, The word of God is our fodder for prayer to stir up our hearts. Meet people at the, the Bible studies. Attend a community group. Pray with people there. Meet somebody. Meet one-on-one. Pray together. We have a monthly prayer meeting the first Tuesday of every month. So I believe that's coming up in two days. This Tuesday, it's at 7 p.m. So please, come to the monthly prayer meeting. I want to exhort us, as a church, We should make something like a specific time only for prayer a priority. So I want to ask a question. This is a diagnostic question, and we should answer it in our hearts. Do we believe that a prayer meeting is worth it? I want you to think about that. Honestly, could a prayer meeting wake you up early in the morning and get you out of bed or keep you out late at night? Just going in a room, small room, sometimes it gets stuffy, maybe it's too cold, you're not comfortable, and you go sit in a room with people and close the door and you close your eyes, does that excite you? Do we understand that what's happening there is going to shape the life of this church? I want to read a quote here from Charles Spurgeon addressing people at a prayer meeting. He says, what a company we have here tonight. It fills my heart with gladness and my eyes with tears of joy to see so many hundreds of persons gathered together at what is sometimes wickedly described as only a prayer meeting. It is good for us to draw nigh unto God in prayer, and especially to make up a congregation for this purpose. How could we look for a Pentecost if we never met with one accord, in one place to wait upon the Lord? Brethren, we will never see much change for the better in our churches in general until the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. That's convicting. Is it only a prayer meeting in our minds? This is only a prayer meeting. It's not a Bible study. Right? That's actually, I get something out of that. We need to prioritize praying together. And I know that schedules don't line up. This is where it's, you can meet. This weekly gathering, we are praying together. You can meet one-on-one and pray at Bible studies, at community groups. We need to be, as a church, marked as a praying people. And so to encourage us, Brad Hatfield, he leads the prayer meetings, and he was looking over a prayer list from last December, and he shared specific ways that God answered prayer. I think this is amazing. Sorry. (laughs) So you guys, I wasn't here. You were praying for a church member about to begin chemo. You were praying for a church member who had a stroke, praying for the building search, and you were praying for that associate pastor role. And so if you think about this past year, by God's grace, I'm here uh, at the associate pastor role. There's an answered prayer, answered prayer for me as well. We're sitting in a building that we own. Both of those church members who had medical difficulties are here today, and they're doing much, much better. You think about just to hear that and to experience and to take joy that God does hear our prayers. And those are just the attention-catching requests. There are numerous other prayers that God has answered. Perhaps not in a miraculous or spectacular way, but God is faithful. We have people in our congregation still suffering, chronic pain, family strife, loss of loved ones. So we cannot forget, brothers and sisters, to pray for one another. And I want to emphasize, we should pray with one another. We need to do this. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray. We're going to pray corporately, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table. So please join me in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you so much that you hear our prayers. Thank you for this gift that we can commune with you because of the work of your son, Jesus, who came and lived the life that we failed, a life marked by prayer. The Lord Jesus would leave crowds of people to spend time with you, Father. I pray that that would be true of us. The Lord Jesus also prayed for the benefit and with his disciples And I pray that that would be a mark of us too, that we would pray as a people together. Lord, would you help us to gather in one accord, to seek your purposes, to pray, to trust you. Would you help us to grow in this discipline of prayer? We ask it in Christ's name for your glory, by the assistance of the Spirit. Amen.